Hello and welcome to Around the Outside, the podcast for the Formula One fanatic with Jake Peach and Chris Moss. We really appreciate every one of you who's been listening so far and is getting involved with the podcast. We've been overwhelmed by the support on our first episode. It really means a lot. Don't forget, if you haven't already, to make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a new episode. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search Around the Outside Podcast on Facebook and we're at ATO Podcast underscore on Twitter and Instagram. In this episode, we're beginning the first in two parts of our Constructors preview before the season begins. We're going to be focusing on each of their history and performances in the last few years and how we can expect them to do throughout the 2021 season. We'll take a closer look at the drivers themselves in a later episode. Well, we thought, well, should we start? And we thought, very easily, let's go alphabetically. Yeah, it's the only way to do it, really. Um, um, and we could have gone with the constructors' uh, order of last season, but we thought that would be a little bit unfair. So let's start, I believe, if my alphabetical skills are correct. Alfa Romeo, let's begin with them. Um, so they joined, of course, F1 in 1993 as Sauber, finishing seventh in the championship that year and then going on to become BMW Sauber in 2006 with Nick Heifeld and the legendary Jacques Villeneuve, uh, very much a character uh, within the paddock around about that time and still is to this day on certain issues. Uh, Noticeable performance from Heifeld um, at BMW Sauber in in that existence with a second place at Montreal. And then a year later, of course, Kubica won his and the team's only race at the same circuit. BMW left the team, becoming independent as Sauber in 2010, once again using Ferrari-powered engines like they had done in their earlier days. And then in 2017, they joined forces with Alfa Romeo as a title sponsor before fully taking over the team a year later. They helped Charles Leclerc into the sport, who's gone later on to Ferrari, as we know. And since then, they've been a competitive midfield team with Finnish legend Kimi Raikkonen, who's been in the sport for over 20 years, and Antonio Giovinazzi steering the ship. Uh, And of course, Chris, who can forget Kimi's amazing start in Portimao last season? I think he gained something ridiculous, like 11 places. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible, uh, Kimi's start. Uh, mainly thanks to the soft tyre in them uh, very changeable conditions earlier on. Um, whilst uh, Alfa Romeo, that is currently as the team lies, they did have a history before the Sauber team. They were in the very first season of Formula 1 where they won the Drivers' Championship with uh, Giuseppe Farina uh, and then they left after two seasons before returning back in the uh, earlier mid-80s before the uh, current Alfa Romeo Sauber team that we know now. As we see them. Uh, and... Let, if we look back on their performance uh, in the, in the last few years, it has been very up and down, uh, maybe not as good as people hoped. Uh, you would, I guess, you would say, and kind of also wanting to clinch onto the. It's a very prestigious name and a brand, obviously a car brand itself, um, but wanting to maybe get close to sort of the title winning times of of the past that you just mentioned there, Chris. But yeah, how how do you judge their performance in sort of the last few years? It's been a bit of a rocky road, hasn't it? Yeah, it definitely has. I think uh, obviously the Sauber team they they had some good highs in the late noughties with uh, under the BMW ownership, um, and then again sort of in the early uh, you know 2011 season with Sergio Perez getting that podium and nearly the win mm. in Malaysia. Uh, they they definitely had some highs, but uh, sort of. Since the hybrid era, they've they've definitely not hit that sort of level. Um, whether that's just down to say the Ferrari powered engines or you know chassis performance, something like that, they they just haven't ever sort of challenged for either podiums or consistent points, which is a little bit disappointing to see for them. Obviously, being quite a big name in the motorsport world, um, but yeah, it's I think. They, the, the only place for them to look right now is forward and that's probably the best place for them to start looking yeah and who can forget uh, back in 2015 where there was this really odd saga it was a, a very troubling time for the team and the team principal at the time was uh, Manisha Kaltenborn who was um, a very short head but the team seemed to get in a little bit of a muddle because they somehow recruited three main drivers for of course as we know only two cars and this was Marcus Ericsson Felipe Nazar 
and Guido van der Garde, who then went on to try and sue the team because he had been guaranteed a racing seat as well as the other two drivers. I mean, ridiculous time, wasn't it? Yeah, cra- crazy times, but uh, say so they, they eventually sorted it all out and say Nazar and uh, Ericsson were the ones that got the seats and van der Garde left the sport. Yeah, unfortunately, not a great season for them that season either, um, sort of rearing up the back of the grid. Um, however... Things have gone on to a bit of a better, let's say, uh, place since then. And they are looking fairly formidable in the midfield. I mean, obviously, they're not up there with the likes of Racing Point last season. Um, Obviously, using that Ferrari engine, which had a bit of trouble last season. Not a very competitive uh, engine, obviously, compared to the Mercedes. So that might have held them back a little bit. But they seem to be getting their ducks in a row and having such a, a legend on board like Kimi Raikkonen with so much experience. How do you see them faring uh, this season? Because they finished eighth out of out of ten last season. Uh, they did, and uh, Giovinazzi had a had a strong season uh, compared to the season before. So it's only going well for him. Um, I think a lot of people are surprised that Giovinazzi stayed uh, for the mm. season. Mm. Um, you know, we've got a lot of youngsters. We've got Callum Eilot, who was supposed to have a test uh, at, Ger- at the Eiffel Grand Prix, um, but didn't for the team. And um, But Kimi Raikkonen, say, a lot of people are thinking maybe he's a bit too old, maybe <laughs> give somebody else a go. Um, but he's a legend within the sport. Everybody, every fan loves him. Um, <laughs> and he, he's given the team, you know, that sense of seniority of, you know, where, you know, he's had, he's a world champion. He knows what he's doing, as he firmly says over the radio. <laughs> and um, yeah, he, he's only going to help them get to a better place. Um, I, I don't see them improving all that much with the Ferrari power. Mm. So um, I'm, I'm likely to see them sort of stay around the sort of eighth place mark with with the Haas team because as we know the engines uh, have become such a dominant factor in this hybrid era since we changed uh, the since the rules changed in, in 2014 uh, and the Ferrari engine Dean did seem like a good bet obviously in, in that first period and I think when we were struggling as Sauber back in those days there it was mainly because of the, the car's performance but um, yeah it seems to be that the Ferrari engine as we go forward might be lagging a little bit behind because of course as we know Mercedes is a dominant power unit in the sport and it doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon does it? No uh, especially for this next season I think Mercedes are definitely going to be the ones uh, with the power unit advantage um, we saw Honda obviously at the end of in, in Abu Dhabi they, they had a very strong engine so maybe Honda will probably be looking to keep that sort of uh, advantage that they had over the Ferrari that they had last year. Yeah, so where are we predicting Alfa Romeo to finish? We're going to be predicting all of the team's uh, places that they finish and we're going to look at the end of the season and see how right or probably wrong we were. Um, where do you think Alfa Romeo are going to finish this season, Chris? So I, I don't personally think that they're going to improve position-wise. I, I, I'm going to stick my guns and say they're going to finish eighth again. Eighth, Okay. I'm going to say, see, this is a thing. When we go and predict, I could literally just, whoever predicts first, (laughs) just go with the same answer and we're going to just copy each other. If you think think the same, then go for the same. There's there's definitely going to be certain teams that we're going to think, well, we think they're going to be the same. So I just think with the Ferrari power unit and where it is at the moment, I I think Alfa Romeo and... And Alpha Tauri, I think it'll be a lot closer with them this season. So yeah, I think I would have to agree with you. I think I'm going to go with eighth. So I was I was contemplating with ninth, but I think that was a bit harsh. Um, so yeah, I think eighth because there are some good. There have been some good midfield points that they scored last season. Um, but let's see. So we saw many races last year where absolutely anything can happen. We had you know, <laughs> yeah, Gasly winning in Monza. I know. Sergio Perez winning in Zakir. Like anything can happen in on, on its day. You know, who knows? Alfa Romeo might win a race next year. Well, I mean, let's just we've thrown down the gauntlet. I'm going to clip that up as a highlight for the end of the season, and I'm going to play it back to you. I, I, I honestly don't think they will, but anything <laughs> can happen in motorsport. No, don't backtrack now. You've said it now, Chris. It's on tape. Can't go back. You've predicted that Alfa Romeo are going to win a race in 2021. I don't think I quite predicted. I said that they could. Okay, that's a that prediction. 
Could's a, could's a prediction. Oh, God, there we go. I mean, throwing down the gauntlet already. I, I wonder how many people agree or disagree with you. Um, Alpha Tauri, then. Let's move on to them. Um, of course, and very recently, Toro Rosso. But before that, Minardi jumping on board in 1985 and then Scuderia coming to their rescue in 1994 to save the team, which of course was then was bought by Red Bull in 2005 to become Scuderia Toro Rosso as kind of the B team for Red Bull, of course, which had only just been bought very, very recently before that. Uh, it would also link more with their driver program, the Red Bull driver program, which at the time, it's crazy to think of now, the Red Bull driver program was only to promote more American drivers into the sport. That was its main aim. And then they claimed their only win uh, as Toro Rosso at Monza in 2008 with four-time champion Vettel claiming his first for the team. And the team has been responsible for bringing new talent into the sport in recent years as well, such as Carlos Sainz Jr., Max Verstappen, Daniel Ricciardo and Jean-Éric Verne, who of course now races in Formula E. The team then became Alpha Tauri to promote Red Bull's clothing brand in 2020, where Pierre Gasly claimed that amazing victory in Monza adding to his impressive podium in Brazil and the fourth place in Bahrain for the team in the year prior. Uh, they've emerged as a strong middle field team, I, w- I would say, Chris, haven't they? Um, picking up more than 100 points last season? Yeah, they, I'd say they're definitely the uh, standout of the uh, back end of the midfield. Yeah. Um, I don't think any any of us predicted Alpha Tauri getting a win. I mean, none of us predicted it in 2008 either. No. But um, <laughs> I'd say they, they've definitely had better seasons uh, in, in the sport. But compared to where they have been, I'd say last year was a pretty pretty solid uh, season for them. And of course, with Pierre Gasly, that's been quite a quite a drama for fans on the outside because, of course, he was promoted to the Red Bull team and didn't go quite well there. There was kind of Red Bull were losing their patience a little bit, and it just wasn't quite clicking for Pierre at the main team at Red Bull. But he also came back to then Tor Rosso with a point to prove. And seemingly kind of almost did better back at the so-called B team that we know Toro Rosso to be, uh, or AlphaTauri now, to Red Bull. So it was it was a really strange time. You couldn't really judge where Pierre Gasly's kind of ability was at from the outside, could you? No, it, it, it was definitely a weird time. Like Alex Albon, obviously it was his debut season. He he had a quite a good... Um, he had quite a good season to begin with uh, in Toro Rosso, hence why they swapped himself and Pierre around uh, for the Belgian Grand Prix. Alex then obviously had uh, a new engine and everything, so he started at the back of the grid, and I think he got fifth on his debut for Red Bull. Um, but for whatever reason, um, we've seen it in the last couple of years, the Red Bull second driver has always seemed to struggle, and that, that, that could be just down to obviously Max Verstappen. Yeah. Um, being mm. Max Verstappen or the Toro Rosso slash Alfa Tori car is just a much easier car to drive and the drivers seem to pick that up a lot quicker and we've seen you know quite a few podiums now mm. and uh, Kvyat in uh, Germany uh, in 2018 get that third place we saw uh, Gasly getting that second in Brazil we saw mm. Gasly win in Italy and um, Whereas Red Bull, even though they're getting consistent podiums with Max, their second driver just they can't he can't get anywhere near. Whether that's just down to Max being you know a, a superb driver, or whether there's something on that car that other drivers just aren't used to that Max is able to pick up quite quickly. Yeah, and I, I think as well. Don't forget, um, we had Kvyat get that amazing fourth place at Imola. Um, uh, last season which again kind of further cemented the team's rise it wasn't just Gasly um, sort of fielding these amazing results but Kvyat also backing up the team's um, potential that seems to have increased in the last last season or so Um, where do you think that kind of surge in in momentum and performance has come from do you think it's just a matter of things that fall into place or do you think that there's been some conscious changes there to make AlphaTauri more competitive team? I think, um, obviously, AlphaTauri doesn't have such a, a budget compared to the main Red Bull team. But chassis-wise, they, they don't have a particularly bad chassis. Mm. Um, 
But I think the thing that's helping them gain traction on the rest of the midfield in certain areas is is the Honda engine. Mm. We've seen the Honda engine now for the last two, three years start to, you know, catch up to the Mercedes quite quickly. And, you know, we've seen it win races. You know, the first race, it, I think it won, was in Spielberg. Yes. Uh, the home of Red Bull. And we've seen it win now at least four or five times um, with with both teams. So I think that's a major factor in it. And, and the reliability of, uh, of the engine now seems to be almost, you know, perfect. I, I'd say... I'd say Honda have played a massive part in AlphaTauri being where they are. Mm. So a very, I think this is a quite a hard prediction for this season because we now have to consider um, Alpine or Renault's momentum sort of from the last event season, which we'll come on to in a moment. We also have to consider Aston Martin, who we'll also mention in a moment, um, with their sort of surging performance towards the end of the season. Remember, as you mentioned earlier, Checo getting that uh, amazing win in Sakia. Where do we think that Alpha Tauri are going to be in the mix this season? It's going to be incredibly close in the midfield this season, isn't it? It's definitely going to be a closer uh, midfield this year. I think apart from one team that I, I'll say at another time, I think most teams are going to be probably about the same. Um, but I'm, I'm going to throw a spanner in the works. I'm, I'm going to say they might even finish ahead of Ferrari if they Ooh. had a, an improvement on last season. Wow, that's a bold claim. And Ferrari uh, only only finishing sixth last season, only just ahead. And Ferrari, of course, will want to be bouncing back, uh, which we, we will come on to at the end of the episode to, to round off. But yeah, you okay. So you're thinking they're going to finish ahead of Ferrari. What position do you think out of the ten teams they're going they're going to place? Uh, I'm going to say they're going to go one and go to sixth. To sixth, okay. All right. I think that they're going to finish fifth, and I think that's a bold statement. It's up two places. My bold, jeez. I know, I know. Um, but I think I have a. A very unnerving feeling about Alpine. And I think the reason for that is because they've got rid of their um, Cyril, Cyril B2L. And I, it seems a bit of a, a mystery as to how that's that's going to go. So that's kind of a little bit of my reasoning. I think AlphaTauri seem more settled than Alpine, who you could say are a little bit of a challenge. Uh, I'd say the only thing on that is that with Alpine, they've, they've obviously got... Fernando coming back, uh, yes. two-time world champion. He's been out of the sport for a couple of seasons, um, and they've got Ocon. But AlphaTauri, they've literally got fresh blood, mm. only just been promoted from F2 in Yuki Tsunoda. Mm. He looks an incredible driver from the races I've seen in F2. The, the only thing is, will he be able to handle being in F1 straight away like the likes of Max did, you know, Pierre? Mm. Or is he going to you know, have a bit of trouble back like Brandon Hartley did? And of course, Sonoda, one of the maybe now shortest drivers on the grid. So maybe giving him a slight advantage there. There's less of him to carry around uh, in the car as he goes around the track. So yeah, Sonoda could be a strong teammate for Pierre Gasly. And you could see the both the team as well, having that second car further up the field, protecting you know, the first or second driver and, and kind of staking their claim on the grid and not just leaving one drive to do all the work, which of course we've seen at Red Bull uh, last season with uh, Max Verstappen, who we've just spoken about. So yeah, bold prediction, I guess, from me. Bold prediction from you earlier as well, from Alfa Romeo. And moving on, as we were just mentioned there from Alpine, of course, formerly Benetton, Renault and Lotus. Um, they formed as Benetton in 1986. The most famous and notable moments for the team was Schumacher's double title winning years, of course, in 94 and 95. And we can all remember, looking back on the archives, that famous title win for Schumacher, uh, taking out Damon Hill in, well, not a deliberate way, but some may say otherwise, uh, to go on and automatically win the title, um, which was... Very controversial at the time. The team became Renault in 2001 with Alonso going on to win his two titles in 2005 and six after the dominant era of Schumacher at Ferrari, of course, which we all 
uh, are very fully aware of. I'm sure if you are a keen F1 fan listening to this podcast, uh, the team were to fully become Lotus in 2012 with a competitive car through this season and into 2013, picking up a, a win here and there. Um, but after financial troubles, Renault Works ironically bought back the team and had mixed fortunes until leaving the sport at the end of this season. And best results last season included two podiums for Ricardo at the Nürburgring uh, and also Imola and Ocon finishing second in a scintillating Bahrain race, which, um, well, let's let's say about that for George Russell, I think the better. And now they rebrand as Alpine, reuniting with two-time world champion once again, Fernando Alonso. And it just goes to show, Chris, what goes around truly does come around. <laughs> It is. It'll be the third time that he's worked with the Enstone team. You know, winning the titles, then leaving for McLaren, going back to Renault before going to Ferrari, then going back to McLaren, <laughs> and now back with Alpine. Do we think? Uh, of course, Alonso hasn't come back into the sport for no reason other to then have a shot at the title. We saw there me just referencing to that impressive performance towards the end of last season. Do we really think Fernando Alonso or even Ocon can mount a title or at least challenge, you know, give give Mercedes a little bit of a run for their money? I think for 2021, no. But major rule changes are happening in 2022. I think Fernando sees this and sees that this could be the best time for him to get that third title that he's been looking for. And of course, he's now not getting any younger. Um, do you think that he will want to be in it for the long haul? I know you are referencing the rule changes there, but do you think he'll want to maybe stay with the team? I mean, who knows what other young drivers will be coming through and giving him I, I think you know, competition? At, I think he's definitely looking at 2022 for sure. That mm. He's definitely going to be there. I think if they have a serious title chance, maybe an extra season, if they're nowhere near, I think he will probably retire from Formula One, but still do things mm. like World Endurance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he he's eyeing up that third championship. And, you know, we've seen it in 2010 and 2012 when he came so close both times to get in it. He, he wants that title. He wants to be a three-time world champion. Say, so even if he can do it 16, 17 years after winning his second... <laughs> That's still going to be a major achievement for him. Which is 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 kind of crazy to think about, really, because if he does pull that off, there won't have been, in to my knowledge, in Formula One, that big a gap between a world title. I think I'm right in saying. Yeah, I don't. I don't think there is such a big gap because Schumacher was only five years difference. Yeah. Um, Nicky Lauda, when he won, I think it was 84. I think that was only a seven-year difference. Mm. So, yeah, it would, it would definitely be... I mean, other, other than something like Rosberg, when it was his dad and his son that won the championship, <laughs> Rosberg, I think, yeah, this this will be the biggest gap. <laughs> yeah, Alonso, once a kid, now a very old man Alonso winning a Jr. world title. Alonso Jr., yes, coming to win the his, his third world title, uh, or rather senior, should we say. And now thinking about Ocon, he has had, again, a little bit of a, a up and down uh, in the in the sort of last few seasons. How do you think he can help Alpine move forward alongside Alonso? Because Alonso is going to have his shoulders out. He will. Um, I think Renault, say they bought, they bought Ocon from Mercedes. Ocon is still very much owned and managed by uh, Toto Wolff. Mm -hmm. They have got the obligation to have him there. He's basically... I'd say with the fact that Fernando's been out there, equal drivers at the minute. Ocon, yes, he had a year out himself, but he's had the last year to get back into the car. Alonso, you know, he's had three years out. He's he's still got to get used to getting back into the car. I know he's had the young driver test program, mm. but I think testing will see which one is going to be the, the one that's on edge of, of each other. I think they're going to push each other a lot. Uh, Alonso's going to want to beat his teammate, he always does. We saw that in 2007 with the intense rivalry we've had with <laughs> yes. Hamilton. Mm. Um, Alonso wants to beat his teammates, as all drivers do. I think Ocon, you know, being as part of a Mercedes uh, outfit, 
you know a few years ago he he knows what it's like to be able to see teams beat teams and he'll want to beat you know a big name like Fernando Alonso is only going to do his career world of good so of course we may sort of think after that comment that it could be a little bit tense between the two drivers because Ocon has got something to prove. He's got to show his worth and live up to the reputation that people have been giving him for the last few years, going through, um, you know, the Mercedes team and being attached to Toto Wolff and basically putting his money where uh, his mouth is and a lot of other people's mouth is where, um, you know, when they've been backing him. But of course, he's going up against a veteran of the sport and many considering Alonso in Alpine uh, now and at a stage where he's at as one of the greatest drivers the sport has ever seen. So could we see possibly a similar scenario to where Ocon got involved with Perez a little bit when he was at Racing Point? Could we see that same scenario where they might get in each other's way a little bit? I mean, it could go one of two ways for Alpine. It could be a very, very successful season for the team, or it could be a very expensive season for the team. <laughs> yes, well, we shall see. Um, and thinking of that, if it is a successful season or expensive, either way, where do you predict that Alpine will finish this season? I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you go for the prediction first. Okay, I think that they're going to finish fourth I think they're going to go up one and yeah I think because they finished last season fifth with 181 points I just think having Alonso back and the momentum they had carrying through from last season I think they're going to be a little bit more of a force to be reckoned with and uh, yeah if they can carry that performance through certainly I think that will be the case what about I'm you? Intri- I'm intrigued for your predictions for later on. <laughs> you're going. I know. Um, I, I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna say they're gonna stay the same and stay fifth. Um, really? I, I, I think. It, I think they'll have a good season. I expect them to get podiums with the performance that they had from last year, mm. um, especially with someone like Fernando driving the car. They, if he's gonna have the talent that he had, you know, back in his Ferrari and McLaren days and his old Renault days then he'll be fighting at the front of the grid, hopefully. Mm. Do you th- so I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that they're going to finish in uh, in fifth. You think that Alonso can get in the mix with uh, Verstappen and unruffle the feathers for podiums? I mean, I mean, Red Bull had a couple of uh, races where, you know, Max didn't finish. Yeah, you know, n- this is true. Not necessarily Max's fault. You know, we saw it at Imola when, you know, Daniel Ricciardo got uh, that podium. What about the Sakhir Grand Prix? <laughs> I mean, I mean, any, anything could happen. Driving into a wall. I mean, that's pretty deliberate. I mean, I, I wouldn't particularly say Max <laughs> drove into a wall. I'd say that he more got hit. And then I know he was. I know he was forced, but it just it uh, looked funny, didn't it? If you take things out of context, uh, and and, fo- as and follow F1 tends to do always. Yes, and, and they follow the uh, F one out of context account. That would be that would be funny. But no, I, I get what you mean. But yeah, but, you, so you think he could be in the mix? Yeah, I'd say he'd be in the mix. You know, we, we've seen it. Uh, you know, even Mercedes wasn't exactly squeaky clean on the reliability. They had a couple of issues last season, mm-hmm. um, notably again in that Sakia race. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, think things can happen, and you know, who knows? Fernando might win a race. Well, that that was probably more likely than the Alfa Romeo winning a race. Yeah, I would say so because um, he's a. Th- two-time world champion um, of course Kimi is a world title uh, holder as well so you never know so you've well let's just conclude there at, at the moment and just take a pause you have said that Alfa Romeo could win a race and Fernando Alonso in Alpine could win a race so I'm just gonna put that I'm gonna etch it into our memories so that when we come to near the end of this season and then the end uh, the last few episodes I'm gonna make you remember that, and, and you know, you know, if they come out, like I know, it'll be big. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be incredible. Do you think that if Alonso does win a Grand Prix, it will be a situation like we had in Monza, where sort of um, events unfolded that kind of gave Pierre Gasly the position, sort of very, very surprisingly. So I think they'll be in the mix. I mean, we saw the pace uh, Daniel Ricciardo had in the Eiffel Grand Prix, and they had it in other tracks as well. They, they they potentially could you know get a, a, a wet race where that they um eventually you know 
something happens and saw many times last season where people were where maybe they shouldn't have been but you know they got their <laughs> mm-hmm. merit yeah without a doubt uh, yeah well hopefully we have some more exciting moments like that this season so yes we are predicting or you're predicting Alpine to finish fifth fifth and I'm predicting fourth maybe a bit bold but we've got to go with bold predictions because anything can happen in the sport we know uh, right we are three constructors through we have spoken about Alfa Romeo Alfa Tauri uh, and Alpine and moving on to Aston Martin of course a British manufacturer another British manufacturer that's taking to the grid and adding to the long list of constructors that have uh, joined Formula One although of course Aston Martin even though for a very short spell of five races over 60 years ago, they were in the sport when it very first began. But then, as the team we know now, it was founded by Eddie Jordan, the character um, that we all know and love very much. Uh, of course, with his team, Jordan, the team enjoyed four victories with the most infamous coming at Belgium in 1998, with team orders being used to secure a 1-2 finish with Damon Hill and Ralph Schumacher, which actually then ended on for Michael Schumacher being so angry at the situation that he bought his brother's contract out and got him out of the team because he didn't agree with what had gone on. Bit hypocritical because Michael Schumacher's, you know, certainly put his shoulders out in, in, in the paddock politics in the past, but that's a story for another day. The team then became Midland in 2006 with the best result of ninth place in Hungary, which didn't award any points in those days. And you think now, ninth place... It's a decent finish in the points, maybe not as high, but the team only lasted for a year as Midland before being sold to Dutch firm Spiker with one points finish, but ultimately finishing in 10th, only above McLaren, thanks to their exclusion from the championship for the Spygate scandal that year. And then, of course, the team became Force India, which had a fairly good going uh, the years after that with Paul DeResta uh, as one of the drivers, Nico Hulkenberg, who is still knocking about around now and helping the team out when they need a driver, of course. But then Force India, unfortunately, ran into some trouble with its CEO um, and the team were running out of money financially. And then along comes Lawrence Stroll. And um, as we know, a bit of a a scapegoat for the memes in Formula One in recent times uh, with his son Lance racing for the team as we knew last season, Racing Point. Um, And I would go to say that maybe money has helped this team come up the midfield a little bit as we know it's played a little bit of a part uh, in the team's success as as it does in Formula One. Money talks, doesn't it, Chris? Yeah, it does. Um, And so we've seen, you know, transition from force india to racing point i mean 2009 they had a very strong season they they got their first ever pole position uh, with giancarlo fisichella mm. at spa uh, very unlucky not to win that race kimi raikkonen taking the win with giancarlo's second which en- ended up getting him promoted into that ferrari seat uh instead of luca Badoa. other than that they, they had quite a few strong podiums with uh sergio perez you know he, he did quite well at uh, azerbaijan back in i think 2018 got a third place there mm-hmm. yeah they've been a solid midfield outfit obviously last season you know they they, they bought some parts from mercedes team which <laughs> renault were uh, not happy with no and uh, it came back uh, and they had to pay a fine and uh, i think they lost some points or something like that um at the beginning couple of races of the season but were allowed to keep the parts and they had, they had a fantastic season. They were dubbed the pink Mercedes and mm. they, they had pace. They, they, they weren't of the same pace as the factory team, but yeah, they, they, they were there taking when, you know, days, you know, either Lewis Hamilton, Bottas or Max Verstappen had an off day. They, they were there. Mm. A big, we, we saw that, you know, in Turkey when Lance got that uh, mm. position. Yeah. Uh, another crazy moment of last season referencing to there, but a big controversy last season with that car um, as you said, the pink Mercedes, it was dubbed that um, very quickly. People cottoned on very quickly after that saga broke out. Um, rules in the regulations basically saying you can't copy another person's car, but if there are certain parts, certain default parts that you can use, that's fine. And it was the, I would say the boundaries were slightly blurred between that and they seemed to get away with that a little bit. I mean, you know, such a, it was 
a drop in the ocean the fine for a team that had the financial backing of Lawrence Stroll. So a lot of people yeah. as well don't don't think they were punished firmly enough for the position they found themselves in. I mean, I think what what happened. Uh, I mean, I may I may be completely wrong. Is that the season before the parts that they had got from Mercedes were completely free and they were able to use them. That last season, that then parts became listed parts, which yes. means that you can't copy them, and that's literally what happened. Like they, it, it was just a small blip, but enough that people weren't happy. Yes, but of course, anyone in across the paddock would find a way to limit a team's performance or uh, you know break their momentum down, and uh, that seemed to be a way. But of course, in the grand scheme of things. It kind of faded away like a lot of things do in the paddock. Uh, they come and go. And um, people kind of just settled with it. It was okay, well, okay we're going to have to deal with this now and um, face them. But no matter all of that, they are where they are. And they have now gone into this season rebranding as Aston Martin. The team and the constructor uh, is back in the sport. And they have recruited Sebastian Vettel on board of course at Ferrari has not had the best of times alongside what people may think is a bit confusing but very understandable uh, Lance Stroll because of him being the son of the team's owner it kind of makes sense really you wouldn't chuck your own son out of a racing team um, Aston Martin's chances this season Chris where do we think that they are going to finish. What do you think their chances are for carrying that momentum on from the end of last season? I think I think they've got an incredible chance of progressing, um, challenging Red Bull. Um, I don't necessarily think that they're going to beat Red Bull. Um, I think they're going to get a lot more podiums than they got last year. I think Vettel will be... I'd like to hope Vettel's back on point and, you know... Bit like what happened with 2014, where he had quite a poor season with Red Bull, changed team, brand new, you know, lease of life. And mm. 2015, he won three races. Um, whether they win a race or not, I don't know. Um, but you know, I'd like to see you know Sebastian on the podium a few more times next year. Of course, they've got that Mercedes engine as well. They have that advantage over the likes of Red Bull, and I think for me. It just feels like that that momentum really is there. There's, there's a real good feeling about the way that they've set up for this season. Um, of course, they have the true financial backing um, now as well. And they have the reputation of Aston Martin as well behind them. And I think it just, with with all of those things together, I really think as well with with Vettel on board. And as you say, if he can get back on 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 a high and back to the performance that we know he can do so well from his Red Bull days and uh, his early Ferrari days, really think that they can mount a challenge. And that brings me to my prediction for Aston Martin. I I really think, as you say, they could give Red Bull a run for their money. I think if Sebastian Vettel gets gets the results, gets settled in, I really think they can finish second. That you might surprise you. That might surprise you. But I really think, I don't know, there's just something about them. I have a real good feeling about Aston Martin this season. I really think with the way that they're set up, they can really mount a challenge. I don't think they'll beat Mercedes because that would also be embarrassing for the uh, for the works team. But I certainly think they'll they'll be up there. I think I think it'll be close, but I think they'll be second. I, I, I think so I think there is gonna be a four way tie for that last podium spot. Mm. Um, I'm I'm gonna have Aston Martin in fourth for that four way tie. Oh, our predictions are uh, so different. <laughs> I mean, apart from the Alfa Romeo one, yeah. Um, I, I just think that there's one other team um, that I think is gonna challenge. Um, mm. But yeah, I think I think Aston Martin are gonna go fourth. I think they'll have a lot more points than they had this year. Yeah. Um, 195 but, last season. Yeah, I, re- I reckon they could get over 200 this year. Mm. I mean, we've got more races, so there's, there's a high chance. <laughs> yeah, mathematically, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I I, th- I think they'll definitely challenge. And it, I, I don't think it would be a surprise to see them ahead of Red Bull in certain races. Yeah, without doubt. Because again, good straight line speed in the racing point, if we remember. And of course, Red Bull, sometimes known 
maybe more for the aerodynamics, which which we've come to know over the last few seasons. And certainly in Vettel's era, the car was just so dominant and superior because of the downforce that Adrian Newey has designed on those cars, which we uh, all know too well. Um, okay, fourth and second from me for Aston Martin. Uh, we're going to come on to our final team for this episode. We're doing um, half the constructors in this episode alphabetically and the other half in the next episode. Let's finish with, if my alphabet is correct, Ferrari, who... Well, I mean, what a team to finish on for this episode, right? Um, a team that is considered the lifeblood of F1 history. It has raced since the inaugural season of 1950. And as of this season, raced in over a thousand Grand Prix. They hold the record for the most constructors titles at 16. They've had some of the sport's most famous drivers throughout this history, including Fangio, Surtees, Lauda, Schechter... Jean Lacey, Alain Prost, Mansell, Berger, Andretti, Schumacher, Barrichello, I mean, Alonso, Vettel, all these names that have driven for this team. So many legendary names that we've come to come to love throughout their careers. Um, and last year, incredibly, was a, a very disappointing year for them with this rich, prestigious history that they have. And um, not having a winless season since 2016, uh, and their worst constructors position since 1980 going from last season. I mean, it, it's, it was not a great season for Ferrari last season, was it, Chris? It, it wasn't, no. Um, I think compared to the end of 2019, um, yeah, it was a big shock. You know, mid-pack mid of 2019, we saw Leclerc winning in Belgium, winning in Italy, the home track of Ferrari. Uh, we saw Sebastian Vettel winning at Singapore. So we, we, we saw them winning a lot of races. It was only with this whole engine saga where as soon as something got picked up with that, they uh, yeah they dropped pace. We saw it you know in Brazil. They, they were battling for fifth or sixth place. And yeah, they, they collided and that, that was the end of that race for them. Yeah, that uh, was... Uh... I think the, the lack of pace dropping off so quickly, I think that was the biggest shock. Um, you know, they were going out in Q1 at times. Yeah, I, I mean, there were so many shocking moments for Ferrari last season. And I think when you talk about uh, the engine saga, which um, we still don't really know the full details to this this today as we're recording this, um, it kind of felt that when that thing did happen, whatever what, what the problem was, of course, with like any development in Formula One, we know it's such a big part of a team's progress throughout the season. Um, you know, bringing new parts, whether that's the aerodynamics, changing the chassis, uh, improving the engine and its power and its performance. If there was uh, an order behind closed doors to, you know, limit that development that was going on because it was found to be unlawful um, and it, you know, had been curtailed in some way, it would kind of make sense why it was lagging behind the likes of Mercedes um, and maybe Honda's progress and Ferrari did seem obviously to slip down the order. I mean, I can remember um, obviously going to the Sakir Grand Prix and also a couple of races before that and in terms of straight line speed on really sort of um, power dominant tracks in Portimao as well. It was just so shocking to see a Ferrari like basically a sitting duck on the straights and in the past it's been known to of course hold its own for straight line speed um really really odd time isn't it for a ferrari fans to be living through yeah i mean obviously last year with a pandemic i think the last thing that the italians wanted was to see their national team have such a poor season uh, i think that that took i mean on social media and that it was very much a laughing matter <laughs> it was Sibinala. It's, it's, it's <laughs> almost embarrassing for a team of such history. Like I say, they've not had a, such a poor season in, since 1980 where they finished 10th in the season. You know, it's embarrassing, you know, just going back and looking at the Italian Grand Prix last year. The highest Ferrari-powered car was 13th with Charles Leclerc. You know, no Ferrari car got into the top 10, let alone the top 12. Mm. You know, that's... You know, apart from the Mercedes-engined Williams, they were literally the slowest six cars other than the Williams. Yeah, and it speaks volume. And of course, as well as that being at Monza, 
at the Italian Grand Prix with the Tafosi. 12 months beforehand. Exactly. To have literally just had that drop off. Uh, it's um, It was really, I think, I'm really sad to see as a fan of the sport, you know, um, of course, having that heritage um, since the inaugural season. Maybe I think as well, I don't want to get too political here with what went on with the engine saga, but I think, uh, of course, a lot of that was done behind closed doors for protection of Ferrari's legacy. And I think if the real details have come out and they may do in 10 years or so, or whenever that we might find out, it could have done some real damage to the reputation more than it maybe already has done and um, maybe given teams more fuel to the fire, as it were. Um, but I mean, we're now, we, we're looking at 2021 and I guess the only way is up for Ferrari, right? We've got Leclerc, we've got Carlos Sainz, who's made the jump from McLaren. Uh, maybe a lot of people are saying awkwardly because McLaren was starting to really um, find some pace in their car uh, as he was leaving. However, he's made that jump now and in some respects, he's he's maybe achieved his dream since he's got into Formula One. Everyone would like to drive for Ferrari or most drivers have that ambition. How well do you think Leclerc and Carlos Sainz can steer the ship now for Ferrari going into this new season? I mean, I I, I think they're going to have a worse season than last year. Oh really God! <laughs> I I mean, the the engines can't change all that much. They've no. got the exact same you know power. They got a couple of podiums. You know, you saw Charles Leclerc getting a podium in the first race in Austria. You saw Sebastian getting his last podium for Ferrari in Turkey. You know, again, races can, you know, they can get lucky and have some podiums like that, but I don't see them challenging near the front for many of the races next year. And a lot of the tracks we've got on the calendar are power dependent. And I don't see Ferrari challenging, you know, the likes of the McLarens, the Aston Martins, the Mercedes, Red Bulls. I don't see Ferrari challenging. Mm. And if and they do, they'll be... They'll be you know, having a good day at the office. Yeah. And you think a large part of that is to do with the engine as we've been talking about. Yeah. I, I mean, we saw it last year, all the Ferrari powered cars, the Hasses, the, the Alfa Romeos, the Ferraris, they were all massively down on power compared to where they were in 2019. Mm. The, the only thing that saved Ferrari is the fact that they've got a better chassis than the, the, the Hass than the Alfa Romeo. I, I, I think 2022, is going to be a better season for them. Matteo Benotto has already said that 2021 is going to be basically the same as 2020. Mm. Um, and if your team principal is saying that, then you, know, <laughs> you, you kind of got to believe it. It's not looking good, no. Um, well, they finished sixth, as you say, last season with 131 points. Do you think they can at least improve on their point tally? I mean, benefits for them is that there's an extra five, six races in the calendar. So yeah. I mean, I know you've mentioned that before, mathematically, of course, there's going to be more points, Chris. We've established that. If we put that to the side and we, and we, and we think about, uh, okay, let's say on average, do you think that there will be more points? Uh, I, I reckon it'd be nip and tuck. Mm. Nip and tuck. Yeah. I, I can't. Um, yeah. It's hard to see, isn't it? Because, you just with the with the cost caps that have been put on this season as well, so there can't be any financial gains made um, from Ferrari's wealth of sponsors. Perhaps it wanted to maybe chuck some more money at them to get them back up to where they should be. That can't really be uh, much as an impact this season. And also with the uh, with the changes, uh, the kind of slight um, trimming downs of the aerodynamics as well this season, and um, all the re refinements going into the new regulations for 2022, it does seem very difficult to um to see any way they can make gains but of course they brought Carlos Sainz on board and Leclerc who we'll talk more about in our driver predictions episode coming up in uh, a few weeks time so yes we think sixth do you you think they're going to stay where they are you don't I, think they I could slip down further possibly I, I think seventh seventh That's my prediction goodness um yes uh, who do you think Okay, if you're if you're thinking seventh, then you're obviously thinking some of the teams behind them from last season. You think Alpha Tauri, uh, as oh, you said, oh, are going to have Alpha a better Tauri season. Sick. Yeah. Okay. I think. I think I'll have to agree with you on this one. I know I've been bold with previous predictions, but I think I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. I think when it comes to 2022, a whole new ball game, like it was with the change in regulations with the hybrid era when we went into there. I think come then 
we'll see a very different outfit and hopefully one that they can capitalize on. But yes, okay, I'm saying I'm saying seventh uh, as well. Cool. Cool. Lots of predictions, lots of bold predictions that we've made. Um, maybe that one's a bit more comfortable for us to make that one. Um, so just to recap for us, Chris, the the teams that we have talked about and where we think they're going to finish this season. So we've got Alfa Romeo. Uh, I think we've both agreed that they're probably going to have a similar season to last year. We've both predicted they're going to come in eighth. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a, a sort of a solid uh, gamble for us both. <laughs> uh, Alpha Tauri, we both think they're going to have an improvement. They finished seventh last season. You think they're going to go up two places and get into fifth? Yes. Oh, I say they're going to only improve by one and that is up to sixth. Uh, Alpine, you think they're going to have a, a tremendous season? Do you think they're going to go up to fourth? I, I'm going to say they're going to be in fifth. Mm-hmm. Aston Martin is your big shock. It uh, is, and you, you're going <laughs> second in the constructors ahead of the likes of Red Bull. Call me crazy. Of, you are crazy. Ahead <laughs> uh, of the likes of Red Bull, already got third last season. They, you think they're just going to be the Mercedes team that are ahead of them? I think uh, there's one other team that could potentially uh, derail that. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've gone for fourth. And then we've both agreed that Ferrari are going to have a worse season. Mm. How possibly could they have a worse season? <laughs> we both think they're going to do it. And we both think they're going to drop an extra constructor place and go into seventh. Yeah. Well, there are our predictions on this Around the Outside podcast. Uh, this has been our second episode. Um previewing the constructors and the chances that they have in our next episode we'll be taking at the final five constructors and their chances uh, of the 2021 season um on social media as well we're going to be asking for your predictions of where you think the teams are going to finish this season how you think they're going to fare with all of these new variables i think the midfield is going to be very very close this season so don't forget head on over to our facebook page just search uh, around the outside podcast or you can find us on twitter or instagram we are at ato podcast underscore and that has been all for this episode until the next one we'll see you soon from me jake and me chris see you soon